Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 95. Today's episode is all about moving through fear. It's so much effort to fight your thoughts and to fight your fears. What you want to do is to be able to release them. I think people underestimate the power of consciousness, the power of perspective. Our greatest strength is that we get to change our mind again and again, and people just don't exercise that. The first thing is know you have options, break down the fear, and then day by day, step by step, small change after small change will eventually create great change. And I think often people try to figure out their fears or where did it come from? How did it start? And we spend a lot of time there too. It's like replacing talk for action. And I just decided my belief and trust in that everything is set up for my greatest good, that I don't need this fear anymore. And I just like that, I don't have it. I don't. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends and wild people. First off, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means even better guests and tons more value. Plus, it helps me grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone could use a little more mind love. So remember a few weeks ago, back in episode 89, when we talked about self-worth and owning your shit? You all really loved that episode, by the way. It was definitely one of my top performing episodes in the last few months. So if you haven't heard it, go back and listen. Episode 89. Well, we talked about how our self-worth has a huge hand in our lives because it plays into what we believe we're capable of, what we think we deserve, how we feel that we stack up compared to other people, and all of these things play a part in what risks we're willing to take. Well, there's something else that can really screw up our mojo when it comes to reaching our potential, and that is fear. Everyone has fear, and the way we experience fear determines if we go for our dreams and lead a life that we really love, or we stay stuck and unfulfilled, and we feel like we don't really have a purpose. Well, sometimes our fear can feel like it's out of our control because it's an emotional response to a perceived threat. So it can totally be a byproduct of our self-worth issues, but it goes even further than that because it can attach itself to really anything. So like if a clown freaked you out when you were three, you might get heart palpitations at the circus when you're 30. Or if someone told you your art project sucked in first grade, you might have buried your ability to be creative as an adult. And one of the things we're most afraid of is the unknown, which means it can be really hard to take action on anything that we feel is uncertain, which really applies to everything that we haven't started yet. You see how fear can be a huge problem? It robs us of our potential. A lot of us try to overpower fear or find ways to deal with it, but we actually have the ability to get rid of fear altogether. We can tap into our fearlessness and reach our highest goals. And not just the ask for a raise type of goals. I'm talking those Elon Musk size goals, like building your dream home on Mars and stuff. I mean, if you're into that kind of thing, I really prefer a more tropical climate, but you got to think big, right? 
Our guest today is Monica Berg, author of Fear is Not an Option. She's had an incredible life story. 17 years ago, she gave birth to a boy with special needs and in that moment was forced to face what a lot of parents think of as their biggest fear. And in doing that, she turned it into her greatest teacher. Three key things we will learn today are why the unknown is often scarier than even the worst case scenario, how fear physically manifests and what to do about it, and how to shift your perspective and collect evidence for your own fearlessness. Before we dive in, I want to make sure you know about the Morning Mind Love. It's the easiest way to start each day with a little reminder about how magical you really are. I get messages from people every single day about how the morning mind love is their favorite way to start the day, or that the message that just came through is exactly what they needed to hear. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. You'll get a free guided affirmation meditation to align your subconscious with your highest self, and you'll get a really cool booklet of Powerless so you can start getting clear on what you want and what really makes you happy. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Monica Berg to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. So today we're talking about this concept of fear. It's like, of course, fear has its purpose at different times, but so many times the way that fear pops up in our lives is completely irrational or it holds us back from our dreams or becoming what we could truly be. So where does this fear come from and why do we have it? Well, everybody has fear to some degree or another. And a lot of it's learned in our childhood. We look to our parents and to our mentors, to our elders, to see how to respond to life situations and circumstances. And very often, difficulty is met with fear, first and foremost, unless you grew up in an exceptional environment. And then from that, as we get older, when we don't challenge ourselves, our fear-based thoughts, and we allow them to control us or paralyze us or stop us from pursuing things that we desire, then fear grows and it grows and it becomes stronger and it feels like it has a hold over us. And that's why I was really inspired to write this book because everybody can change that reality if they decide to. Because if not, you go through life and slowly, slowly you wake up and you're like, how did I become this fear-based person that's afraid to go after their dreams or their desires or even declare what they want because they're afraid of rejection, failure? And again, some of these things are part of our human nature and part of our DNA. But we can really take the reins and take the control and lead with our soul and with our mind. We can dictate what we want to respond to. So why was this topic important for you to tackle? What is your story leading up to this book? Well, I help a lot of people. I mentor people. And the theme that kept coming up was fear and also relationships, which is another book I have coming out. These are the two things that people really grappled with. And in my own life, As I started to break down the walls, like I said earlier, to really challenge fear-based thoughts, I realized that there's a formula here. You know, again, if I look back at my own childhood, the first encounter I had with fear was when my uncle, seemingly in my seven-year-old lens, became schizophrenic overnight, and I thought it was contagious. And nobody explained why he was one day completely erratic and terrifying. And even if they had, I think at that age, 
there's pre-genetic disposition. I don't think any explanation would have made me feel better in the moment. I think I still would have had the fear, but I walked around with that and carried it for years. And I write in my book when I would go on long distance runs, I was the marathon runner. I would hold my breath if I ran some by somebody who was mumbling to themselves or seemed crazy. So I, I still had this fear that was contagious. So that was the first fear. And then, you know, you go through life and we all have things that happen to us and you can choose to be a victim, you can choose to make something from that situation. You can grow from it. You can transform from it. So then I developed anorexia and again, fear, loneliness, that all set in. But I don't think that I really could have tackled this until I gave birth to my second son who was born with Down syndrome. He was my second child, but also my second son. And I found out three or four hours after his birth that that was his diagnosis. We didn't know at all. So I gave birth and you have this idea that you're growing a typical healthy child inside your body. And then when he came out, I was met with such feelings of shame and crushing guilt and terrified. I mean, I was really scared. I didn't think I could raise a child that had special needs that I didn't understand. And again, it afflicted his mind. So that reminded me of the fear that I had all along with, with my uncle. What I understood through the process, because I am on a spiritual path and I've been studying Kabbalah since I was 17, I understood that that's not who I want to be and that I'm going to create a different environment. You know, I found out about his limitations on the day he was born, but I had a lifetime to discover his gifts. So I shifted my consciousness and I, I wasn't going to allow myself to be afraid of this. What I understood, what it all comes down to, you can name it schizophrenia or anorexia or having a child with special needs, but the fear that everybody has is the fear of the unknown. And that's why fear is universal. So we put it in different compartments, but Basically, we want to feel like we're in control. And that's the biggest illusion of all, because we can never control anything that happens in life. We can only control our response. What is it about the unknown that's so terrifying? Because I totally know what that's like. It's like, you can tell me the worst case scenario is about to happen. And there's something about that still sucks, but it's a little bit calming because I can prepare for it. But even if I know that that's the only worst case scenario, somehow not knowing, which also includes the spectrum of the best case scenario happening, I still sink deeper than if I knew that the worst was happening. What is that about? Because we feel like we're at the hands of the universe, that we have no say, no control in how our life will unfold, what we want, and something's going to be thrown upon us that we will not like, and then we're going to suffer. That is the movie. That's what goes in everybody's head. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to get a disease. I don't, I don't want all these things that I hear about. And again, our imaginations are very, very wild. And it goes into that kind of area as soon as we're in that, you know, oh my God, what's going to happen? I don't know what's next. But if we take it, if we rewind it and we say, okay, we never, ever know what's going to happen, right? But again, if I were to ask you, are you, is it more scary for some to fly in an airplane or to drive in a car? And we know statistically it's safer to fly, okay? But you don't get in a car and you're afraid. It's this unknown thing. You know, we're flying in the sky. How is this plane working? It doesn't make sense to my logical mind how all this weight can actually fly through the sky and I'm not in control. And is the pilot drunk? I mean, I mean, you know, our minds can create all kinds of scenarios, but if you realize that you're never in control anyway, and that you never know what's going to happen, then you can live life in the moment and you can be present. And when you're in that space, fear cannot coexist. It cannot. So when you were dealing with finding out about your son, how old is your son now, by the way? He is 17. So 
What was that like processing, which must have been a lot of fear and a lot of unknown because there's a lot of fear going into being a parent anyways, but there's so much less information out there for a parent dealing with somebody with special needs. And so how did you unravel that to start to have a better relationship with your fear, I would say? A thousand percent. I First, it was, again, I, I had the shock of it. And then I remember thinking that I was really surprised by my response because, again, I had been on a spiritual path. I felt very connected to the creator. I felt like I was, you know, I was kind of crushing this thing called life. And then my response to having a child with Down syndrome really surprised me, you know, with all of the shame I felt, with all the guilt. And I started worrying about, you know, how will I handle him or understand him when he's going through puberty. I mean, I started going so far fast forwarding through his life, I just stopped and I said, okay, I applied what we just spoke about. We don't know anything. I have no idea what's going to happen. I know that there's a gift here for me. I believe that. I think it's an opportunity and I'm going to embrace it. And the truth is Josh has become my greatest teacher. He's made me more empathetic. He's made me see the world in a different way. He's made me kinder. Where we are so complicated as people, he's so simple in the best way. I mean, he never gets angry. He doesn't have an ego. He's just kind. He feels people before they even say how they feel. Those are all things that we have to work really hard to become, and that's just innately in him. So I decide I'm going to pay attention to all of those things, and that's it. I mean, I'm not going to label him. He doesn't have, as far as I'm concerned, he's just my son. And in fact, we didn't tell our other kids his diagnosis until they kind of figured it out when they got a little bit older, when my oldest son was about 10 and I had a daughter, I have two daughters also, but I had one a year, her and Josh were a year apart. And they started to notice different things. And they said, well, you know, how come Josh can't do X, Y, and Z? I said, you know, everybody's different. I mean, he can play basketball better than you and, you know, you can run faster. I mean, I just don't believe in labels. So I think that it shifted my consciousness so completely. And I started to embrace this idea of change, that in change, there's great power. So I can change any situation, not the diagnosis, but I can certainly navigate my way through it. I can certainly change the outcome because it's all how you see it. How you see things is how you live them. And that was the biggest shift for me. And then there was no fear because what am I afraid of? Living? No, there's no fear in that space. I'm going to embrace all that comes because I know it's for my greatest good. Right. Because so often we do zoom out to why would you be thinking about 15 years in the future, what you're going to do when all that we have right now is the next few moments and tomorrow even. And so a lot of times when we are able to shift from that, let me figure out what every problem is going to be over the next 20 years of my life and try to start solving them now, of course, we're going to feel overwhelmed. But if we bring it back down to, okay, I only need to solve what's right in front of me at this very moment, then it can oftentimes take away so much of that stress, even if there is still a little bit of fear there. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. 
That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. (laughs) And it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. Absolutely. And I think a great tool to use for people is to look at it this way. Ask yourself, what is fear stealing from you? Because people don't really look at fear in this way. And if you think about this, when you leave your house for vacation or you leave for the day to go to work, you lock your doors, your windows, maybe you put your alarm on, right? When you get out of your car, you lock it, you secure your bike, you put your valuables in the safe, your money's in the bank. We go to great lengths to secure and protect the things that we find valuable, that we hold dear to us. And it seems so obvious. Why am I even saying this? But when it comes to fear, we allow it to steal from us every single day. And it actually steals our most valuable possession. And if I were to ask you what that is, what do you think it is? I feel like in the past, fear has stolen my potential or my ability to find joy in the current moment, which is pretty important. You're amazing. You're like the only person to have ever guessed that right on the spot. It's our potential and it's our potential in everything, right? In our career and our health and our relationships and our life overall. And I just decided I'm not letting fear take that from me. Simply not. I'm not allowing it. And if you don't, and that's why I named the book fears on an option. If it's not an option, you're going to have to look for another viable option. So then Is fear ever helpful? Should we always be trying to get control of our fears or when should we take that fear and think, actually, this might be worth listening to right now? So I love that question. It's I've identified this in my book. I've identified three different types of fear. There's healthy fear, there's real fear, and there's a logical fear. So healthy fear is like it sounds. It's something that is good for us, that it protects us that it keeps us safe and away from danger. So for instance, if you're going on a hike, right, you live 
in Santa Monica and you're going and you're too close to the edge of the cliff, your heart starts beating, something in you wakes you up and you take a step back. Or if your hand's too close to an open flame, again, you don't want to get burnt, you automatically move your hand back. And even intuition is a healthy feeling connected to fear. So if you're about to step into an elevator and there's somebody in there that makes you feel really uncomfortable, don't go in, right? That All of those things are for your survival and your protection. So there's a the story that reflects this in my book, and I think it just really takes this idea home about what healthy fear is. And it's the story of Carol Durant. And she lived in Murray, Utah, and she was approached by somebody one day who came to her. She was at a grocery store, and he said, your car has been broken into, and he had a police officer uniform on, and he said, we've apprehended the suspect, and we've taken some of the items off of him we think they belong to. Can you come to the station and identify them? So she got that feeling in her gut that felt like, oh, I'm not sure this is a good idea. So she asked to see his badge and he showed her one. So she reluctantly decided to go along with him. So they get into his car and they start driving on the highway. And she notices that he's going the opposite direction of the police station. So she starts to say, you know, what are you doing? You're going the wrong way. And he takes his hand and he starts to handcuff her. And he got handcuffs on one hand because she was already alarmed, she was able to jump out of the vehicle while it was still driving because her hand was already on the door handle. He parks the car, they get into a fight, and she's able to escape. So a few days later, she's reading the paper and she sees that another woman that same day, that same afternoon, was raped and murdered by serial killer Ted Bundy. And she realized that that was the police officer that talked to her that day. So if she hadn't gone along feeling, you know, with her intuition and with her gut, that could have been her. So healthy fear is something that is very important that we want to keep that is, again, there for our survival and our protection. The next fear is real fear that's based in reality. It's the idea that there's death, there is fear of illness, fear of public speaking, you know, fear of losing our loved ones. But even with this fear, it could be converted to something that helps us. So for instance, if somebody's afraid that they're going to lose their parents and they spend day in, day out thinking about that and ruminating about that fear, that's one way to live or not. Or you could convert it and say, okay, I, I love them so much. I'm going to make sure that I tell them every day how much I love them. I'm going to appreciate them in the moment. I'm going to spend quality time together and make sure that when we are together, it's based on things that are important versus you know arguing. And the same thing with the death. If we're afraid of disease or death, then instead of worrying about it, let's take steps to ensure that we live a healthier lifestyle, that we eat well, that we exercise, that we move our bodies. So far, following along? Yeah. So we basically take this real fear, figure out which parts we can't control around it and do our best to let that go, and then figure out what we can do or what actions we can take to mitigate that fear. The third one is illogical. And this is the one where we spend most of our time in. It's fear of heights and spiders and airplanes and being claustrophobic. And it's the thing that keeps us worried, frantic, and panicked. It's fear of rejection. It's all of the things that we allow to consume our mind and stops us from really living our dreams, from pursuing the things that we want. And instead, we just feed the by the way, even though it's illogical, it feels real. It feels very scary, but it's not. And so I give tools and tips throughout the book to really eradicate this. And if you do, and then you convert the other two to help you, then basically you're living a fearless existence. 
Why do some people have fear and totally amplifies over time, even to the point of some people have, I forget the word for it, but where they have like a total fear of even leaving their house. And then some people on a lesser scale, but still a little bit more extreme is having really strong panic attacks and anxiety attacks. Why do we all handle fear so differently? Is that how we've learned it? Is it our biology? Is it a combination? I think it's a combination. And I think also what happens when you don't challenge your fear-based thoughts, then they just get bigger, right? And they grow and they, they feel like they really have a hold on you. So somebody who is afraid of flying and never challenges that and doesn't go on vacation, doesn't go to parts of the world that really excites them, isn't living a curious life, then they're going to become stagnant and probably feel less happy, less excited about life, right? So if you don't challenge your fears, they do get bigger and you collect more with time. In fact, I remember after I had Josh and I got pregnant three months later with my daughter, which was, I think, the bravest thing I'd ever done because I was terrified about going through another pregnancy again and what would the outcome be and the chances of having another child with Down syndrome after you've had one are much greater. But I thought if I don't do this, maybe I'll never have another child. And that wasn't acceptable for me. But I remember I changed so significantly in many ways after I had Josh that I call that period before Josh and after Josh. And before Josh, I was, I still am in a junkie, but there was nothing like I loved roller coasters and blood and I would pull out my cousin's teeth. I mean, I was the person, I was the calm one in the face of chaos. But after my adrenal glands were completely shot and I hadn't realized that what I used to love now terrified me. So a few years after my daughter was born, I thought it'd be great, you know, two, three years to go to an amusement park and take the kids. And we were going to have this great day on roller coasters, just like fun, silly fun. And my husband doesn't love heights, but I convinced everybody it would be such a great thing to go on the roller coasters. (laughs) So we get on the first one. And as we're inching up slowly, I'm realizing I'm not really enjoying this. (laughs) I'm starting to get uncomfortable. My heart starts to race. My palms are sweating. And I'm starting to panic and I want to get off this ride. And there is this little mechanical bear on the left as you're going up just before you're going to drop. And he's waving and he's supposed to be adorable. (laughs) And I'm thinking this is the last happy thing I'll ever see before I die, you know? (laughs) And I remember you're going so slowly at that point that there was a platform right next to this bear. And I thought, well, I can jump out now and get on the platform. Then I don't have to go on the ride. And then I I caught the thought. I thought, oh my God, that's crazy thinking. And the thought scared me more than the roller coaster. Like, I'm not going to embarrass my family like this. They're going to arrest me. I'm going to end up on the news. I'll never live this down. So I stayed on the roller coaster clearly. But what I did that day is that I forced myself to go on every roller coaster they had. And it's not because it was suddenly fun for me. It's just that I knew if I didn't do that, I would have left that day with a new fear and it would have been a fear of roller coasters. So it's about allowing yourself to be a little uncomfortable. So to break it, you know, I mean, change is never going to happen without some discomfort. And that's really the approach. And I think that in terms of anxiety and panic attacks, it's when people really keep ignoring their soul's desire and they become so uncomfortable that it's like this disconnect between body and spirit. I love that story because I could just picture, you know, the click, 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 click right before you go over the drop. So dramatic. But it's true, though, because 
I think so much of our beliefs happen or evolve through the evidence that we collect by the choices that we make. So if we're not taking action to collect evidence for why we shouldn't have fear, then yes, that fear is just going to continue to grow. It's going to seem even more real because that's the only place that it exists and we've never stopped to actually challenge it in the real world. It is interesting to me, though, I was just talking on a recent episode about how I have always been an adrenaline junkie. I love roller coasters and things like that. And I even got certified in skydiving. But now it's funny because once I became certified, I've never had a desire to go again. And it's not really a, it's not really a fear, but it's almost like, do I need that kind of risk all the time? Also, somebody that I had actually known at that, the Paris skydiving center died because this parachute didn't open. And so there was this shift for me in, is this the risk that I really need? And I noticed that once I started really living my soul's purpose and doing something that felt meaningful, the less I needed those extreme experiences to feel more. Does that make sense? A thousand percent. A thousand percent. I, You know what? It's funny because I used to want to jump out of planes and now I'm like, well, I never want to do that. I mean, I love my <laughs> life and I love my kids and I don't have that desire to push it in that way. I mean, I like, I mean, I love exercise and I love long distance running. I like to get my endorphins going, but I don't feel the need either to do that. And it does make sense. I think when you're really living what you're meant to do and you're living with appreciation every day, it gives a whole new perspective to how you live. Fear does physically manifest in our bodies, whether it's shortness of breath, dizziness, sweating, fainting, even in some cases, because our body ties to these experiences, whether they're big or small, it just depends on how much fear we personally had for those. So I'm curious, during your second pregnancy, when you had this fear, did you experience that? And because that can be so, you know, those are the times that you want to be even more careful about what your body's signaling to the baby that you're growing inside. So how did you handle some of those physical manifestations? No, it's a really good question. And again, because I, I got pregnant three months after Josh was born and my body was just, it, my nerves were shot. And right before that, I was having tremendous anxiety, like the first month until I put my head around it and said, okay, this is a great blessing. But I, I remember calling my doctor and I said, I'm pregnant again and I have a lot of fear and I need to know that you're going to be there for me. I have illogical thoughts. I know I will. And if you're not able to do that, then maybe you're not the doctor for me. And again, I would have never done that before. I would have been too afraid. You know, what will he think? I don't want to offend anybody. But everything shifted from that moment on. But when I was in the moment, of course, I'm human. And at that time, if she wasn't moving as much as I thought she should, because Josh didn't move a lot. And I did have some kind of premonition during that pregnancy. Something felt off to me with Josh. It just felt like, and I would speak to people. And nobody wants to hear a pregnant woman saying that they feel that there's something wrong. But with Miriam, I would talk to myself and I would talk to her more importantly as she was inside of me. And I would say, you're healthy, you're amazing, you're strong, and I love you because I couldn't offer more than love. And anytime fear kind of set in, I would just gently brush it aside because I didn't have the tools that I have now then to have that certainty and to completely eradicate it. But again, I think all of those experiences gave birth to this book and to where I am now with it. But I think it's like that first step is just to not catastrophize, not to, because it happened once, it's going to happen again. I didn't allow myself to go there. And I think that's number one, that you get to decide the consciousness you have around all of your experiences. And that takes strength and that takes practice, but it's totally doable. 
it definitely takes strength, especially because, you know, so many of our fears are learned or we're kind of inheriting them from people around us. I love the story. I heard it in Don Miguel Ruiz's book. It was either The Mastery of Love or The Four Agreements, but he talks about the monkeys in a cage and basically like there's bananas hanging at the top of the cage. And whenever a monkey tries to jump up and grab the bananas, they get hosed down with water. And so eventually the monkeys stop, but they keep putting new monkeys in. And what would happen is that the new monkeys would jump up to try to grab the bananas. The other monkeys would get pissed off because they'd be like, we're going to get hosed. And after a while, they had swapped out all the monkeys. So none of the monkeys had ever gotten hosed down, but none of them would jump up for the bananas because they had learned from each other not to take that risk. And I just love that story, except it does show us that so many people have so many irrational fears. And like you were saying, you didn't really want to talk to other people about it. Because we have these friends, some friends amplify our fears and some friends quiet them. But it is healthy to share these experiences. So what do you recommend kind of our own process for deciding who to share our fears with and who not to? Because we don't want to share a fear and then have somebody say like, oh, yeah, definitely don't start a business. They all fail, (laughs) whatever it might be. So how do we decide if sharing that fear is going to make things better or if it's going to make things worse? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So how do we decide if sharing that fear is going to make things better or if it's going to make things worse? You need to choose your environment. And I think that people don't take that seriously enough. I think that we get attracted to people for many different reasons. And sometimes when it's unhealthy, we still stay there. But I can't underestimate the power that people have over us and the influence. And we don't even realize it day to day. And it's not from a bad place that people who even love us sometimes can't be there for us or can't fully experience our joy as their joy. It's just that many people have lack. And unless you're really working on your own headspace and your consciousness, it's really easy to see what you don't have versus what you do have, because we all have so many blessings. We just need to alter the way we see things. So I think that it's important for sure to talk about things. But I think even more than that, I think journaling is a powerful tool. I think when you write it down, you'd be surprised how many answers you have. They just, you don't have access to them. If a person is constantly feeding the fear or feeding the doubt or feeding negative thoughts versus transforming them to make them positive, then you eventually stop listening to yourself and you stop really hearing what you desire. So when you write it out, you can see the false thought and eventually you can start to recognize the positive one. And then from that space, when you feel more clear about what you believe and who you are and what you know, and you have emotional feedback that you're giving, you have access to that from yourself, then I think you're in a better place to invite other people as part of that dialogue. And even then, I think it's still important to really be very selective. 
I was just realizing recently that a lot of my fear, I will think it's one thing. And when I really drill it down, because you're right, journaling is so powerful. There's something about just getting it out of your head and onto your paper to see a new perspective. And so I will often journal my fears, but then I'll try to go deeper with each one. And so for example, there have been times in my life where I was really financially strapped. And so my fear, when it's only in my head, I'm suddenly afraid of being homeless and not being able to pay for anything or or whatever. But when you actually get it down on paper, it's like, wait, I have a pretty strong support system. Would I ever actually be homeless? No, it would be more of a shot to the ego because I'd have to ask my mom or my grandparents or my husband's family if we could go stay with them. What most of my fears have always come down to is the awkward conversation of asking for help or of letting somebody know something or of calling a bill collector or whatever it might be. And so it's just so interesting how a lot of times our fear we think is one thing, but if we drill it down, it's actually something completely different. Well, I just want to point out everything you described right now, what it comes down to is ego. And the ego doesn't like to ask for help. The ego doesn't like to feel humiliated or have to ask for things, right? I mean, so I think that if we look at it that way and say, okay, I know if somebody needed help, I'd want them to come to me and people love me and they don't judge me. And even if they do, there's no shame in asking for that. So I think that the interesting thing is if you identify what the real truth is behind the feeling, what's even underneath it, then the, all the answers are there. And then, then there's really no fear because you've broken it down. It's true. I was thinking about when I was starting Mind Love. There's something about starting your own thing, especially your deepest passion, that can sometimes be not only the most exciting, but also the scariest. Because when I really look at this podcast, it's a very vulnerable thing. I share a lot of stuff to where oftentimes my mom's like, so you really said that to like 100,000 people? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, yeah, so? Well, I remember when I was first starting, if I didn't have so much passion for it, if I didn't feel ready, there was a lot that was trying to hold me back because I thought, what if I put this out there where it really feels like I'm putting my soul and my heart out on the line and it fails. And then I showed people that I tried to start something and it didn't make it. And really that does come back to ego. But I look back now and I think, what if I had let that hold me back? I get emails from people all the time saying how this is helping them. So you know, the world have been missing out on if I didn't put that out there, if some of the greatest people in the world didn't put out what was calling to them. A thousand percent. And that's the whole point. That's why if I had to guess, and you sound very happy and fulfilled because you're living your life's passion. Now you might make mistakes and some days you might not achieve the thing that you wanted to, or you'll feel like you failed, but you know what? You're going to get up and try again because you know what that feels like. And that's truth. That has longevity. That is why you are here. And if you look at it that that way, I mean, it's no comparison to any fear you'll ever have. So say we have this fear, we know all this stuff, we're motivated by this much of the podcast that we've just heard. What do we start to do with that fear? Because I know a lot of times our first instinct is to overpower whatever motion might be there. You know, it even happens a lot in like the whole positive thinking world where it's like, no, just think happy thoughts or no, just pretend the fear is not there. Is that the right way to do it? Or should we be working with our fear in a different way? No, I don't believe in that at all. I'm sorry, because it's so much effort 
to fight your thoughts and to fight your fears, it's just as much effort. And I don't, so I don't believe in that. I think that what you want to do is to be able to release them. I think people underestimate the power of consciousness, the power of perspective. Our greatest strength is that we get to change our mind again and again, and people just don't exercise that. So I think that the first thing is, you know, know you have options, break down the fear, and then day by day, step by step, small change after small change will eventually create great change. And if we approach life like that, there's nothing that you can't achieve. There's no fear that you can overcome. I used to have tremendous fear of elevators. I had this from when I was really from when I can remember, like age four or five. I remember the first time that happened, I was, the doors closed. I was with my mom and I started to hyperventilate. I'm pulling my shirt up and down. And I couldn't breathe. And, you know, later I, I joked with her when I, as I got older, I'm like, did you lock me up in a box when I was little? like, where did this fear come from? And I think often people try to figure out their fears or where did it come from? How did it start? And we spend a lot of time there too. It's like replacing talk for action. And we moved to New York five years ago. And again, this is after having four kids and after really conquering a lot of my fears that I had throughout my life. And, um, I just decided that I'm not taking this fear to New York with me. I mean, when I lived in California, I many, many times have climbed up 20, 25 flights of stairs, especially after a long run. If I didn't have a phone or I, I was parched and I didn't have water, there's no way I was going to go in an elevator like that because what if, you know, I got stuck and I would die, right? That was how it felt. And when I went to New York, I just said, you know, I don't, I don't need to take this fear along with me. There's elevators to live in the city. You have to, you can't have this fear. It's just not practical. And I just decided my desire to move and my belief and trust in that everything is set up for my greatest good that, you know, I don't need this fear anymore. And I just like that, I don't have it. I don't. So all it took for you is just deciding not to have the fear. Yes, because I've worked this muscle, right? You've got to build the muscle. You've got to practice the certainty. You've got to try it in small ways to tackle fear every single day. And then when you do, when you see, wow, I did that and it wasn't so scary and I feel so much happier and I feel strong and I know who I am and I know what I'm capable of, that replaces the feeling of fear. And when, again, like any muscle, you build it, you build it. Now it's just something that's comfortable. It's more comfortable than the other part. So what if somebody is dealing with a little bit more of the severe symptoms from their fear, whether it is maybe the physical manifestations or maybe they weren't raised in an environment where they ever were able to collect that evidence of their own power. Where is a good place to start for them? Are there any tools they can use or exercises that they can do to help work through this and collect evidence in a very small way first? You know, I had anorexia from when I was 17 for five years. There's no self-love there, right? I mean, I was slowly killing myself. And when I realized what I was doing, then of course I felt shame and guilt that I was taking a perfectly healthy body and making it unhealthy. And uh, so I didn't have a voice and I didn't feel strong and I didn't feel like I could navigate my life in the way that I wanted. I felt that I had no control. So I really just, I was struggling and I felt so alone and I had no idea how to get out of that hole. And of course, first, I didn't even think I had a problem until, you know, luckily one day I did have the gift of sight. And what I decided to do is that I was so at that time craving to be loved and feel protected and feel safe. And I realized, and I knew even at that age that that's nobody can do that for me. And 
I can't rely on anybody for that. And I shouldn't. So what I did is I took all of that desire and that want for love, for acceptance, for appreciation, for respect. And I put it back into myself and I decided that I'm going to nurture the greatest and longest relationship I'll ever have in my life. And that's the one I have with myself. And it's hard and it was hard. And, you know, slowly, slowly, I started to hear my words, take my thoughts and my desires seriously, start to put energy behind what I wanted and take some action. And and it was slow steps. And eventually I did that and I really learned self-love. And I think from that space, anything's achievable. Yeah, it's that relationship with ourself that can really change everything. I can so relate to what you were saying. I had bulimia for 10 years and it got so bad that there was times that like my whole body was shaking and in pain because of just what I was putting myself through, binging and purging dozens of times a day. It was crazy. And it was actually when I started to get other areas of my life together that I started to find the strength to work on that, but it wasn't fully healed. And then all of a sudden, one day I realized that I was diagnosed with chronic gastritis. I was so sure that I had like esophageal cancer or was going to get stomach cancer. And I remember not being able to sleep for three days in a row. I was so exhausted and just freaked out because I, something deep in my stomach just felt like I had something that I could never turn back from. And it was that new fear instead of this whatever fear it was of my body image or or whatever that really stemmed from. I mean, I could go on with that for hours, but it was this new fear that, oh my gosh, if I don't do something right now, then my life is going to be over. So in that way, it was interesting because this new greatest fear overpowered any other fear that was causing these behaviors and allowed me to pivot. Well, by the way, that was your healthy fear kicking in, your real fear, because what the outcome that you were describing could have happened. And what did you do? Instead, you took charge and you said, okay, this is a real fear. This could happen. And instead, I'm going to get myself healthy and make different choices. And of course, there were many things around that, but you actually exercise what it is we're talking about. Well, that feels pretty good. (laughs) I love how you brought it back to the relationship with self too, because what I have found is that now the more I know myself and understand my triggers or my irrational fears or even the little tricks my ego plays on me, the more I'm really finding who I truly am rather than identifying with all of those things. And really, the deeper I dig, the more I realized how much I would have missed out on if I wouldn't have challenged myself in this way. It reminds me of that quote by FDR that says, you have nothing to fear but fear itself. And it's so true because the biggest risk is the risk we're not taking. And (laughs) now I'm full of cliches. But what did you discover about yourself through the process that changed the experience of your life? I realized that I am an overachiever. I always thought you know, I was always the youngest one in school and I didn't think I was the brightest. And I made this movie around myself that just was a lie. So I really actually learned that I love to study. I'm kind of like a geek and I love science. I love to like, I'm just curious about so many different things. And it was fun. It was fun to discover these new things about myself. I also discovered that I can depend on myself to make good choices, that I will do the right thing when it comes to myself and also those around me and people that I love. I discovered that I have a true desire and passion to 
not only live my best life, but inspire others to live theirs. And I also discovered that I don't believe in suffering. And so I stopped, I stopped suffering. And that was really the transformation and that anything that happened to me after that point, I said, okay, if I don't believe in suffering, then I need to find the silver lining here. What's the gift? What's the gem that's waiting for me to find in this package that seems like the opposite? It's so amazing what just a slight shift in perspective can do. It's like we're dealing with the exact same situation. The same situation is in front of us, but we can look at it as, oh my gosh, this is going to destroy me, or I'm never going to get out of this, or what else bad will this lead to, to that simple shift, but it's also so powerful of, well, what is in this for me? What do I have to learn? How much stronger will I be coming out of the other side? Just yesterday, my husband was stressed out. He does websites and he's working with this really big, awesome nonprofit and they put out a push. And anyways, it was breaking the site because they needed more resources. Well, he was kind of freaking out and I just kind of looked at him and I was like, I'm going to give you a pep talk. Right now, you are going through a growth challenge. You love to work out and get your body to the point that it's like fatiguing because that's how you build your muscles. And the same exact thing is happening in this business or this personal or whatever challenge you're feeling. It's like once you get through this, you're going to be that much stronger of a person. You're working that fear muscle. I think that the challenge we can offer ourselves, that it can also be really fun when you live on those terms. You can make any experience fun. Like, for instance, if, you know, one person missed their plane, they get upset and, oh, my God, I had a meeting. I'm going to miss it. Or I was supposed to be at a party or whatever it is that you're rushing to go to. Or another person can say, OK, well, it wasn't meant to be. And I'm at the airport, so I'm going to make the best of it. There's a spa there. There's great restaurants. There's shopping now. Like, airports are awesome now. And I choose to take that approach everywhere because I mean, it's just not worth even getting upset about talk about health. I mean, stress is the number one thing that really affects us. So I just wanted to add that because it can be fun also when you challenge yourself this way. I love that. It's like, I look at it as like looking for little Easter eggs in whatever experience that you're thrown in. And so it's like, really, if you do get stuck there and you're like, well, guess I'm supposed to be here for some reason. And now my goal is to figure out why it not only makes you deal with that whole experience differently, but it for me, it almost pushes me to step outside my comfort zone. Like I'll talk to more people. I'll do more things that I totally. wouldn't have otherwise done just because I'm thrown into this experience. And have fun. Have fun. Life is not supposed to be so hard and heavy and painful. It's not. Well, thank you so much for letting us into your life and your experiences so we can learn from those because so often what we think is our greatest fear ends up being the greatest gift we've ever been given as long as we are willing to face that. So for the listeners out there who are inspired by your story and want to learn more about you, where are the best places to connect with you online? Monica Berg 74 That's my Instagram and my blog is rethinklife.today. And my book, Fear is Not an Option, can be purchased on Amazon. All of the links in this episode are at mindlove.com slash 095. I want you to take a moment today and think, what is a big dream that I have? You know, the kind that you're just not sure if it's even possible. Or maybe you're afraid of failing or embarrassing yourself. Now I want you to write out the worst case scenario. Tim Ferriss calls this fear setting. You actually think about the worst thing that can happen, and then you take each fear and either challenge it 
or figure out a solution. So if your fear is going broke starting this new business and somehow ending up homeless, ask yourself, is that what would really happen? Or is there someone I know who'd let me crash on their couch? Or do I have a backup plan for another way to make money in case this doesn't go very well? A lot of times our fears are bigger in our heads than they are in reality. So the idea is to shift your perspective. Start working those problem-solving muscles and collect evidence for your success. And then share them with me. Reach out on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. I have been sending voice memos to people who share the podcast or send me a message all week long. And it's been super fun getting to know you guys on a more personal level. So I want to hear from you. Go to Instagram right now and follow mindlovemelissa. And if you know anyone that could really use this episode, you know that person that has a big dream that they're just afraid to make a move on, or they're stuck in a job they don't like because they think the risk is too big? Share this episode, or take a screenshot and share it on social media. And don't forget to tag Mind Love Melissa and Mind Love Podcast. And of course, subscribe and leave a review for the show. Thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into Your Higher Frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift.